0: My local coffee shop is my Penn State World Campus classroom, giving me the full Penn State experience online. My Penn State classroom is getting me to where I want to be. Click on the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more.
1: My local coffee shop is my Penn State World Campus classroom, giving me the full Penn State experience online. My Penn State classroom is getting me to where I want to be. Click on the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more.
2: Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's
1: Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe!
3: On this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, Steve Brisson Dean, sporting KCT beat writer, Joins us to discuss SKC's US Open Cup title victory on Wednesday. Dan from Nats Abroad calls in to discuss young Americans abroad, such as Josh Sargent and Weston McKinney. MLS looking to restructure its playoff format. We look to see if the ideas proposed are better for a league. All this on this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast. I'm Steven Joderand. The man who switched his Twitter account after last week's episode, Armand Kafai <laughs> to Armand Kafai
3: is uh, on the line with me. What's going on, buddy? Nothing much. I thought that Twitter change would make things a lot easier. You can just find me by looking at my name. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that that's 100%. Uh, for sure. But
1: listeners, we got an awesome episode in store for you. We got multiple guests calling in. We're just waiting for a couple of them to call in. But Armand, I we don't ever often do this. Opening thoughts until Steve calls in here in the next couple of minutes. Do you have an opening thought
3: from the weekend of American soccer? Any? Oh uh, well, as an FC Dallas beat writer and as someone who watched them play on. Uh, Saturday night against Minnesota, while waiting for a buddy of mine, I saw an absolute implosion of a team. It was—I uh, don't know what to even make of it. People say they've never seen a collapse like this in MLS history. I don't know what to what to even make of it at this point. This team just has no cohesion. They don't know what they're going to do. I think at at this point, the panic button has been pressed. They're probably going to miss the playoffs. It, it's, it's, it's it's looking messy for what. Used to be MLS's like MLS's darlings with the homegrowns and whatnot. Yeah, no. Uh, Oscar Pereira, is he on the hot seat? I think he has he has the ability to have one bad year. But, I mean, if next year it's a repeat, it's exactly what happened to Shell's Hyman. I th- I mean, would you, do I want them to can him? Absolutely not. But, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know. You can blame Oscar for this, or you can blame the team for bringing him in just – players on the budgeted salary. Unless it's evolving, it's, you can't just go on and, I guess, moneyball it of sorts. I think they need at least one dominant player, and it's just it's looking really bad. It's looking really bad. Uh, I,
1: I wonder who you, takes more of the blame because you have three different components to FC Dallas, you have the terrible front office that just can't get anything together, then you have a brilliant coach that you can it's hard to blame him, and then you have the players that seem to not want to play for the ownership with what happened with the routine Barrios, what happened with Kellen Acosta with with the, the locker room, with the reports that you and I have been talking about how the locker room might not necessarily be you know, glued together the glue guys don't seem to be gluing the locker room together
3: I mean, if you think about locker room-wise, who's a glue guy? Do you have any? Because I, I can't think of any Zimmerman? off the top of my head. I don't think, I don't think Zimmerman's a glue guy. Um, as much as I love Walker, I don't think he's a, a glue guy. I mean, I would say Hedges, but I mean, I don't think they honestly have one. I mean, I forgot who it was. I think it was uh, Steve Davies from the FC Dallas broadcast mentioned how uh, it looks like FC Dallas doesn't have like an enforcer. Yeah, which is which is relative, which is relatively true. I mean, will we see a roster overhaul this winter? I mean, that's a that's a question I want to see. Well, but, I mean, before before we uh move on, I just want to say credit to Minnesota. They've completely turned around the way they've played from beginning of the season. You can't take away how good they played on uh, Saturday night and how good they've been playing recently. They've yeah. they're just completely flip flopped from what they were sure. at the beginning of the season. I was watching uh some uh
1: some you know how uh. In the game of soccer, you'll often have some sort of song played, and the fans are there, you know, clapping, or clapping along. Forget One Wonderwall. Song. Say again? Wonderwall. Wonderwall. Minnesota United's got a pretty good soccer atmosphere. Like, good for them. Like, I, I, really, I really enjoy it. My quick opening thought, because Steve here is calling in any minute uh, Michael Bradley s- was talking about the turf when the the Rebs were playing Toronto uh, on Saturday. And, quote, it's ridiculous, the field. The football lines, the whole thing is a joke. And I'm starting to tell you that MLS has to be very concerned when one of its American players, one of its uh, leading marketed players like Michael Bradley is complaining about turf, especially the lines. It's not good for the league because if he's noticing it, then so are the European players and the South American players and the players abroad. If you are a franchise that does not have grass as its natural field in its in the stadium, you are going to suffer with with the marketing ability from the player standpoint, and it's starting to to unravel in front of MLS, especially with the the comments Bradley uh, said.
3: Yeah, I really wouldn't say necessarily turf but i do believe i I do believe turf does play a big impact i think specific types of turf for example um i don't know if the atlanta united turf is is that bad but i mean i know new england's turf isn't really that good no Uh,
1: actually what's funny armand is the patriots obviously because that's Kraft's main concern is the patriots they put in new field they put in a new turf over the uh summer and it costs a fortune right it was supposed to be softer grass and it's supposed to actually be better for soccer. One game, the page, the opening night game against uh, Kansas City, the Chiefs, the players complained. Kraft's like, all right, front office at it, We're ripping it up. We're putting back the turf. And, yeah, the revs suffer f- because of that. But the football, it's wanting the turf. It's another thing with the football lines and all that mess too. So, I mean, Michael Bradley is speaking, I think, to more about the football lines on the field. I'm thinking the turf is starting to become an issue. Like Atlanta United, I, I wonder how long they can can deal with playing on turf before somebody's like, w- you got to put in grass.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see it happening in the foreseeable future, but I, I, I do believe, I think, turf is going to cause a little bit of an issue, especially if New England doesn't move out of Gillette. I mean, they're like MLS, what, like 0.5 or something right now. It's <laughs> it's, 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 it's it's pretty garbage how they can't move out of uh a, a, Playing in and Boston's got a soccer
1: mar- market. I want to remind people Boston has a genuine soccer market. Anyway, uh, joining us right now from Children's Mercy's Park in the press box is Steve, MLS beat writer for uh, Sporting KC MLS How are you doing? Doing well. How are you doing today? We're doing great. You just wrapped up uh, with
0: the LA Sporting KC
1: game. How was it?
0: I did. I, I was. I think it was. It was. Sporting was avoided a, a hangover, which was a big deal. After oh yeah. Open Cup win. Um, it, I think they were. They're they got veterans on this team. They're they're professionals. They're not going to take one, a game off. And LA, I mean, you know, LA's done for the year. I mean, they're they're not going to make the playoffs. They they don't mm-hmm. look good at all. And it's a it's a rough moment for them. But I think Sporting did what they needed to do today. Got the three points. Uh, put themselves in a good position. Still going forward. they you know, depending on what happens with Portland tonight, they're they're second right now. So, you know, all in all, it's, it wasn't a spectacular game, but there were some uh, some nice moments for Sporting.
1: For sure. Um, Steve, let's go back to a couple days where Sporting KC hosted the New York Red Bulls, ended up lifting the U.S. Open Cup. <laughs> were you at the game? How did you, th- what you was, think
0: of it? it I was. It was an entertaining final. Uh, I thought both teams came out and went after it hard. Great uh, Great atmosphere. I think Sporting really executed their, their game plan well, which is look for mismatches, um, find space, and, and deliver balls in in places that, that New York really couldn't get to. Uh, it, it, again, it, was, it wasn't it was a typical cup final in that both teams didn't sit back and then play cagey, play cynical, and, and try not to lose. They both came out and went yeah. for it. Uh, I think the, the experience showed, though. I mean, you, you've got guys, Sporting guys, who've been around this club uh, even since the, the you know the late two thousands, and uh, the last decade, and you've got guys who who know how to win titles here. Then it's four cups in six years here. That that kind of veteran leadership, that experience, is really pretty much what carried the night for him.
3: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Stevie. I watched I watched the match, and I thought the match was relatively open compared to some other cup finals that I had seen. But um, SKC I trade away their top scorer Dom Dwyer dur- during the season, and a lot of people are skeptical where they're going to get the goals. It looks like it hasn't affected them at, at all, to be honest.
0: Yeah, they they're, they're uh, you know somebody put up a stat today. Uh, Diego Rubio has five goals in seven starts for Sporting. Dwyer had five goals in fourteen starts for Sporting. Uh, Latif Blessing has really come on. Daniel Charlois, who's got goals in his last two matches. Uh, just has really started to blossom. So the, Ed Gerso has has been doing well in, on scoring for I don't know, all years, been their leading scorer. So the, the goals are coming and they're, they're starting to come uh, more frequently now. And, I, I, you know, Dom, was, Dom contributed a lot to, uh, to a lot of success. But uh, one of the things about sporting is they've never been entirely dependent on one player. That's never been Peter Vermees' MO, where you hang everything on one guy. And expect him to carry the club. So I, when when uh, Dwyer got traded away, it's sort of the next man up approach, and they've really been doing well with that.
1: With how well Sporting KC has been this past season, winning the U.S. Open Cup, what's the expectation going forward into the playoffs?
0: Look, they're, the last thing that Vermees said uh, to them in the locker room before he came into the news conference is you know, this isn't, we're not done. This isn't the only time we're going to do that this year. So the expectation here is always you're going to compete for multiple trophies. I mean, you see the results over the years; they've they've never gone more than a year uh, without a trophy since they moved into the park, into Children's Mercy, rebranded and moved in. And uh, you know, that's it's a run that most teams would kill for. The, but the expectation every year here, then they say it, but they say it because they mean it, is they, they expect to contend for multiple trophies, and the shield the shield's out of reach this year with Toronto FC. Even if, mm-hmm. if Toronto keeps swooning, the shield's out of reach. But MLS Cup is very much within reach, um, and they believe they've got as good a chance as any, and a better chance than quite a few to win it.
3: Yeah, absolutely, Steve. And you were talking about that success, where you're talking about the trophies. They've won what three U.S. Open Cups in six years. I mean, it really. I think it really shows how uh, important they take this cup compared to some other clubs within the league.
0: Well, and it's, it's silly that that clubs don't take it seriously. I mean, it's, an, it's first off, it's the easiest way to get into the Champions League. Exactly. And you get in the Champions League, then oh, you right. get more money, then you get more exposure. Uh, you, you know, you get uh, a lot of benefits from the Champions League, and plus, which you get the the psychological benefit to your players of hoisting a trophy. That's Absolutely. invaluable. And the teams that don't take the Open Cup seriously, I think, really miss out. They they focus too much on the Shield. They focus too much on the MLS Cup. But it's you know, it's, why would you ignore a domestic cup that, that puts you in the in the CCL? I wonder,
1: Steve or and Armand, you can answer this. The importance of the U.S. Open Cup is it? Do clubs not take it seriously because the exposure? Only in, I would say since probably last season or maybe even two seasons ago hasn't always been, you know, ESPN's finally broadcasting games, but it hasn't always been something up and center. The you get into the champions leagues, but the money isn't necessarily all that rewarding. Why do you think there's this weird imbalance of some clubs taking it seriously like sporting KC and other clubs just kinda like it's whatever?
0: I'll let Armand take this one first. I have some ideas. I wanna I wanna hear Armand's not show. <laughs> um
3: that that that's a tough one. I mean I feel like I think just some clubs take just priority on on certain uh, competitions. For example, I mean, you you see it you see it ac- across the pond uh, in uh, in like in the English leagues. You see like some teams not taking the cup seriously and more focusing on the league and whatnot. I, I just I I, I honestly I, I can't fathom a way to figure out why because I do agree with what Steve said. I do agree that it is one of the easiest ways to get into the uh, continental game. It is one of the easiest ways to uh, get exposure for your club and also to, uh, in the end, hoist a trophy. I mean, you saw FC Dallas how much uh, significance they put on hoisting that trophy and how much that meant that the MLS Cup exit was almost like forgotten by the ownership and some by some players on the team because they won the Open Cup. They won a trophy. It's the, it won the easiest routes to getting a trophy. So I mean, I just I, I don't really I truly don't understand why they do it, but I mean, it happens. So Steve, what, what's your thoughts on that?
0: I have, I have a couple of thoughts. One, I think it's it's like you said the the, the tournament really it's been around forever. It's the oldest professional tournament and right, right. sports tournament. But one thing I think that works against it is the sheer size of the country. You look at, at England. You you may hate the team thirty miles down the road, but they're in a different division. FA Cup is the only chance you get to go down thirty miles down the road and just show those so and so's what's what. Right. Uh, the Open Cup, I mean, everybody's, you know, kind yeah. of thrown. It's not like sporting have a huge hate on for, let's, you know, let's say they, they played, of course, they only played uh, MLS teams, I think, this time around. But mm-hmm. yeah, back when they were playing Minnesota United, when Minnesota United was in NASL, it wasn't like they had this massive hate on for Minneapolis. I mean, you got to drive five and a half hours to hate on somebody. Most people aren't, <laughs> that, uh, yeah. aren't that fired up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you only find something like that you know, in New York where the Cosmos are trying to make a name for themselves, uh, something like that. But the country is just so big so you don't have the geographical hatreds and rivalries is one thing. I, and I think the, the idea of the draw as opposed to if they have another place where you draw your next opponent every time, here it's, it's geographic. So you know who you're going to play. There's not mm. so much quite the uh, event of sitting around waiting to find out, okay, who do we draw in the next round? So you pretty much have your path laid out, which I, I'm not a huge fan of that geographic layout because what of the two best teams that take it the most seriously are both on the west side of the country or both on the east side of the country. Uh, but I think the, the run of FC Cincinnati, the run of Miami FC, were both very good for the Cup this year. Uh, a couple of years ago, if you remember, Cal FC mm-hmm. uh, it, it stunned Portland. Um, and then you had Christos, you know, the, the team yeah. that... Uh, it, I think you start getting stories like that. The, the Cup is going to get more recognition that way because everybody loves an underdog story this is america everybody loves an underdog story um and i think you you look at the final here you've seen the how dallas took it. you've seen how seattle uh has had success in the open cup this decade there there i think there are clubs that are kind of driving that um and i think as as more clubs maybe see the importance of it as helping your club gain a successful mindset i think you're going to see more clubs taking it seriously. You look at the Red Bulls, they didn't take it seriously until Jesse Marsh became the the manager. Why did he take it seriously? Because he was in Chicago, and they used to own the Open Cup. Um, so you, a, lot, a lot of it just depends on on the philosophy of the coach. You now, L.A., uh, another team that's is still is historically not taking the Open Cup uh, super seriously. And it being a, a flagship, uh, I want to say a marquee team, maybe in, In MLS, it would help if the market team sort of took more of an interest in it. I think Seattle's interest helps a lot, um, but I I still think it's got a long way to go. It's come a long way, too, though. As I said, that was at that 04 Open Cup at Arrowhead in Kansas City. Seats 80,000, and I was one of 8,819 people in the stands. And it scored the golden goal. I look around for somebody to high five, and there's nobody within three rows. So it's grown. It's grown quite a bit
3: absolutely steve i 100% agree with those regionalized uh pairings i i it seems like every single year dallas or kc will play each other or houston and dallas will play it's, it's like the same preset opponents i really i really just i i, I don't like that i want to see like you know play maybe play some other team or maybe uh have the round where the mls teams enter have the mls teams play on the road yeah. against those nasl or usl sides
0: sure you know anything to kind of bump up the uh and the excitement factor. And they, uh, Recently, you know, not all that long ago, they, they still had to go across country sometimes. Because it we were sporting one in 2012, they went through Orlando City. Right. Of course, at that time, yeah. sporting, we're in the East, uh, Eastern Conference of MLS. But it was a little bit different from just playing the same Midwestern teams all over and over again. So here you know who you're going to get. You're going to get maybe Oklahoma City or Dallas or Houston, Colorado. You're going to get everybody pretty much west of the Mississippi. That's your pool. Mm-hmm. And... I get that for, for the smaller teams, but once you get into USL or the NASL, you can afford to travel, and especially for a one-off, because if you draw, you don't go back to the other guy's place like you do here. I mean, like you do in England. Um, so, you know, if you draw, you don't have to go all the way from LA to New England. I, I just would like to see it opened up a little bit more and more of a random draw, but I really like the way that the Cup has has gained interest, and I think you're going to see the benefit of that next year with uh, with how well, FC Cincinnati and uh, Miami FC made those deep runs this year.
1: All right, Steve, I got one last question, and it's actually one of the questions we love to ask the beat writers around the league is, what is the soccer culture like in Kansas City? Because Children, uh, Mercy's Park is fantastic. The national team plays there. It seems to be an electrifying atmosphere.
0: It's huge, and it, it really really turned the corner when they built this stadium, when they rebranded when they moved in. I mean, there are always people who are diehard fans, and there are the people who... Went through the couple years in the minor league ballpark, which is, you know, always an interesting transition phase. But they opened it up here, and they've been a very fan uh, forward organization. Very big on, on connecting with the supporters. I mean, you can't go around town without seeing sporting stuff everywhere. Can I go back to what this, the, kind of the, the write-up I did the other day, or earlier this week, leading up to uh, Open Cup Final. I'm I'm walking down the street in the neighborhood, maybe a couple, couple of three miles away from where I Sporting Train. And somebody has stenciled on the sidewalk in spray paint, we want the cup. Got to have that cup in blue spray paint with an that outline awesome. of the U.S. Open Cup. Oh, okay. And it, just see how far it, it's come. Yeah, you, you can't go around town without seeing sporting stuff, seeing people in sporting shirts. Um, you know, every every bar you go to now that's considered itself remotely a sports bar, there's some kind of sporting swag hanging up there. Uh, and, and it's not just lip service. I mean, people see... The game, and they know the game. They, they, it's not like you're going to walk into the office be I mean, the only one talking about soccer the way it used to be here. Um, the, the ownership on, on goal has really done a fantastic job of uh, just really making this the culture uh, first rate. The stadium first rate, and the and the supporters again are are, are crazy passionate. Uh, about uh, about the club, and they've got a great academy system. Uh, set up so you see, you know, kids all over the city wearing academy gear, um, the affiliate gear. So they've, they've really gotten their roots deep into the culture, uh, and become and ever again, people love a winner. And they've been delivering that, uh, you know, success with the trophies year in and year out pretty much. So it's it's a fantastic soccer culture. I mean, they call it the soccer capital of America here, and I don't think they're off the mark.
3: No, absolutely, Steve. I mean, I kind of wish we had that. We, I wish I had that over here in the, uh, in the Dallas area. Yeah. But um, <laughs> on, 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 on the show, Steve, we do something, a, a shameless plug so people can find your work and uh, follow you on social media. So where can we find you? Where can we find your work? Shameless plug time. Uh,
0: I'm, my work's on MLSsoccer.com. In fact, I'm, uh, just, uh, before too long, I'll have a piece out on Daniel Shalloway and his parents coming over to uh, to visit from Hungary while he's been enjoying tremendous success this week. So uh, watch for that later on today. And if people want to look for uh, soccer-related snark, among other things, on Twitter, they can just find me under my name, at Steve Brizendine, and uh, you can find me either one of those places. That's awesome. Steve, thanks again for joining us and hope to talk to you down the road. All right. Thanks much.
3: That was a good interview, Stephen. Well, not good even... a discussion. Well, good was dialogue.
1: That, but... The, I, I... One thing that struck me is... What was really interesting is the stadium, because it's a soccer-specific stadium and it's a good stadium, people turn out for the club, huh? That's a really interesting idea. I don't know. Maybe New England and Colorado and Dallas and Columbus and uh, all these other you know cities that have terrible soccer stadiums. They could learn some from Sporting KC because ever since they've stepped into that, that beautiful stadium, what, it's been nothing but success.
3: KC was on the verge of getting, I want to say, contracted at some point. They were god awful. Their, their attendance was terrible. They had nothing. They rebranded, and now look at them. The team's having success on the field and off the field, and making a true impact within the uh, uh, the KC community, which I find pretty awesome for yeah. a team that was struggling completely.
1: And and the club seems to get it with the the young talents moving through the ranks, with with the ownership being stable and the ownership being such a what you know steve telling us may being such a uh, fan-centered organization i think is vital to the growth of soccer especially in cities like a midwest area i'm thinking about if if the hunts in dallas or the crafts in boston or um is it crikey with with the rapids yeah if they were to invest in in their into the fans Think about what type of market they could have. They could Dan Hunt could sell out uh, Toyota Stadium easy. Kraft could have thirty thousand show up at, at
3: Foxborough. But no, it's it's really weird. It it is, and I think another key thing about SKC is they have storylines. Uh, as uh, Steve was mentioning, Shallowy, uh, a little story about Shallowy. I was uh, talking to a buddy of mine who uh, had. Um, uh, who, who really liked Shalovi? Told me the story about him. How he actually was a foreign exchange student uh, coming into America, but he was so good that SKC was like, "No, you're going to have to stay here and you're going to play for, play for, for play for our academy." The story of Gerso. I mean, John John Strong mentioned it on his broadcast day. It's on KansasCity.com. Just look up Gerso on KansasCity.com. It's by Sam McDowell. It's an unbelievable story about how he's an orphan. And how you get to go through so much through a childhood to even play soccer. And now he's in his position. He loves it. They have incredible storylines, incredible players, incredible uh, organization. And it's one of the model teams in MLS right now. All righty. Well, we got Dan Matera, creator of uh, Nats Abroad, joining us
1: right now. How's it going, Dan?
2: Good, good. How are you guys? We're doing great. I'm well.
1: Doing I'm great. You now can't... we're, we're going to change the conversation from MLS to Americans Abroad. And boy, was it a big week. For huge American. week
2: yeah absolutely I mean we've got you know Weston McKinney making big waves at Schalke um, mm-hmm. that's a that's a huge deal you know he made his his uh, his first start ever uh, for the team for the team in the league uh, last week against Bayern Munich made another one this week um, so big big things there um, big guys coming back from injury DeAndre Edlin Fabian Johnson um, so definitely some, some big stuff happening ahead of these uh, World Cup qualifiers
1: I'm, I'm going to ask you this why do you think the Bundesliga? Bundesliga seems to get a lot of Americans. You talk, you hear always about these German American players. You hear a lot of Americans going to the Bundesliga. Why do you think it's such a hotbed for American soccer players?
2: You know, I I think it, it just has to do with um you know the cultural s- sort of ethos I think that the that the country has um, as a footballing nation or a soccer nation. Um, it's you know it, they generally have you never really um you know been the most you know, they're not Spain, they're not the most technical um team in the world um as a national team. But, you know, it's just coming out of their academies, they have a, just a lot of gritty players, um, guys who, you know, aren't afraid to to run around and, and you know, make a, a sort of a you know, a physical presence in the game. And I think that's what they see a lot in in our younger players. Um, you know, Kristen Pulisic for example and you know, weston McKinney to an extent, you know, they're 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 quick, they're, they're just, you know, they've got their head down and they just kind of play the game. And that's, that's what I think the German system is all about. Um, And I I think the, the Americans sort of follow that pretty well. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think it just, it happens that, you know, there's interest there from them um, in our young players um, more so than, than other nations. So I think that's kind of where they gravitate towards there. And then it just becomes a snowball effect. Um, You know, you see a a guy like Pulis that go there and then, you know, everybody else kind of feels more comfortable going there as well. So, um, so yeah, I think, it's kind of a kind of a snowball from there.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think also part of it has to do with uh, the less stricter uh, kind of work permit laws, like they have in the in England. Uh, I know that 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 can that can play a factor in a, a player signing too. But um, I do agree. I, I I do think the Bundesliga does provide, and I think it is that snowball effect that you talk about. I mean, we saw Pulisic go there. We saw McKinney go there. I mean, we've seen we've seen players. Um, S- such as uh, Mackenzie Gaines also go there, and now we have seeing Josh Sargent uh, signing with Werder Bremen uh, this week. So I mean, I do think part of it is that snowball effect, and I think those players who do sign for these uh, uh, clubs, I think they embrace it kind of. They embrace the, uh, they embrace you know trying to get more uh, Americans to come to the uh, Bundesliga.
1: I also think that the Bundesliga gives an opportunity to the youngsters. You don't necessarily hear the English league developing young players. I mean, all the big clubs, Arsenal, Bayern Munich, I mean, not Bayern Munich, but Chelsea, United, they don't necessarily dive into their academies as you t- do see with the German clubs. And I, I think that's a big motivation and a big reason why you do see these these uh, you know youngsters from America. You know, I'm going to go to Bundesliga because you're more likely to get playing time. And that's, that is the most crucial aspect to the development of a national team and to the development of, as an individual is getting playing time at the top you know uh, in the top leagues
2: yeah yeah absolutely that that's that's a perfect point I think you know there's there's just so much um emphasis placed on the development of youth even I mean you look at a team like Borussia Dortmund um and you know their reliance on youth even though they're you know probably considered you know the top two three teams in in Germany they're still pulling guys on a regular basis every year out of their academy and you know you're just never going to get that from a team like Chelsea or or you know, yeah, like you said, Manchester United or one of those guys—they're just going to dip into their pockets and and buy somebody else.
1: Yeah. I mean, Manchester United—you know, with Rashford, you do see a couple break through, but Chelsea—they're not going to their their youth academy. They're going to go out and spend the cash. City does the same thing, and it's and it's a real shift in football and then the sport to to see the transition into. Well, you could just go out and spend money and buy players. Who cares about developing them?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see, I mean, you you go to a country like Portugal, and I mean, everybody there, but but FC Porto essentially is is living off of that model of of bringing in younger players and turning them into you know bona fide stars and and selling them off to bigger clubs. I mean, that's you know that's just how how some teams work, and and you know other teams don't, and and that's definitely um, definitely a, a big factor, I think.
3: No, I, I, absolutely. I, I totally agree with uh, what uh, with b- both you both you are saying with that. And I mean, we just saw, like, like I mentioned, Joe Sargent signed with Verder Bremen. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, on Sargent going to uh, the Bundesliga, Dan?
2: Um, I'm I'm excited. I think it's a uh, you know just based on on everything you know, like we just said in terms of. Um, the the opportunities he'll get as a young player there um in in germany um in general and also uh, bremen is a a a great academy they've they've produced some really um really good attacking players um in recent times so it's definitely going to be a good fit i think uh for him there so it's it's definitely exciting you know he'll get a year essentially with their u19 team um and then uh, after that, he'll he'll age out of that after his first year there, um, and then move up to their reserves, and and hopefully um, at some point make a you know make a splash enough to get into the first team and and uh, take advantage of an opportunity there. So um, yeah, big big moves for him. He's he's got a, a huge amount of talent. I mean he was you know I mean we all saw the the U twenty World Cup yep. uh, in the summer. It was just yeah. uh, it was goals just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, records just shattered. You know, he's he was, I think, you know, six, you know, just super young, and he's. I mean, he's going to play U, <coughs> the U the U seventeen World Cup uh, next month as well. So, it just kind of goes to show sort of how young he is.
1: Well, I mean, he's so young that he can't technically sign with Bayern Munich until he turns eighteen in February. So, you know, he's only seventeen right. years old, which is which is a huge statement for Americans. <laughs> a bigger statement is why he didn't sign with Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund, who were keen on him as well why do you think he chose Werder Bremen over those two clubs
2: you know it, it it's it's always a uh, an interesting question I think um, you know I I would hope that it, it has to do with you know them you know being him and his you know his family and his agents sort of taking a look at the club in general their sort of stance and and how much they're willing to you know kind of invest in him um, whether it be training wise or or you know just kind of the, the amount of effort they're going to put into his development. And then also, you know, just looking at the other players that are there, you know, someone like Dortmund, they may have, you know, a striker who's the same age and, you know, really good and, and kind of in the same pipeline and he'd be competing with him, whereas somebody like Bremen might not have that. So he's sort of going to slide in and, and sort of take over their their spot in the U19 team. So um, I'm not really sure, but um, I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm hoping there's there's some uh, some thought process there.
3: Yeah, I, I hope so, too. I mean, I, I I truly think that, you know, someone was in his ear just like, hey, look, I think this might be a better opportunity for you compared to uh, the other uh, places such as uh, Bayern and, and Dortmund. And, I mean, like we d- discussed earlier, I mean, I feel like, almost any of those top uh, Bundesliga sides are good side are, are a good side to go to developmental wise and because they're not afraid to play the youth and I mean too many times we see teams that are some of them are a little too afraid to play the youth but these these German teams such as what Schalke has done with uh, McKinney are just seem to integrate these younger players almost seamlessly of sorts into their starting lineups and whatnot so I think I think I've, absolutely yeah I think it's it's, it's a great opportunity for uh, Sargent.
1: Yeah, you know these kids who, who are kind of distributed all over the world, especially the youngsters. When you when now this is a question for both you guys. When do you think we will actually see them break through the national team, start replacing the older guys? If you look at the current squad, there were only four players who were younger than twenty-two when it came to the recent call-up. Now we're going to get the call-up roster here in in the next couple. Of weeks for the next round of qualifying uh, 7 meanwhile were over the age of 32 3 were the goalkeepers but the 7 were Dempsey Wondolowski Beasley Howard Guzan and uh, Nick Mirondo so to put it in perspective England had 3 at the U-20 tw- uh, who were younger than 22 but shouldn't Bruce Arena start to sprinkle in some of these youngsters to A get them experience and B also start to, to set that next generation of a, of the national team
2: um, yeah, I I definitely think that I'm fully um, on board with that. I mean, I think it's we're we're kind of almost hitting a, you know a gap where we're we're just we didn't have a generation of players who are now you know 22, 23 um, really pan out like we thought they would, um, whether it be just talent wise or or just situationally. Um, guys like Emerson Hainmen and and Perry Kitchen that were sort of supposed to mm-hmm. be at that point now yeah. where they were taking over for bradley um you know we do have guys like Kayla acosta who's who's doing a good job i think of sort of breaking in and, and making a spot uh, but uh we we really missed out on that uh that sort of the olympic team of of last year so mm. um of really of guys really being able to come in and, and prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they're uh that they're ready to take over so i think that's part of it and then uh you know also the the fact that these games are so important that uh, you know it's kind of hard for Arena to to bring in a guy who's you know nineteen twenty and and has really never played at this this level before. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough. I hope uh, you know once we kind of get through this the World Cup qualifying uh, that we can kind of find a way to to start working them in as, as soon as possible.
3: Absolutely, Dan, I agree with that that last statement a lot. Uh, I, I I wish Bruce would, but I can't blame him because. Basically, they're fighting for the World Cup lives yeah. now do you would you want would you rather have um, you know Weston McKenney or a more experienced guy? I mean that that's question that question is pretty uh, pretty pretty obvious. Now, um, what I think Bruce should do is um hopefully he gives maybe one or two of those last spots to one or two of these European kids uh, or that no well, European, but these two younger Americans that are that are abroad. this is maybe a Weston McKenney. Or somebody else. Hell, Weston McKinney might even break into the uh, to the lineup, maybe replacing Acosta. I don't know what's going to happen a year from now. But I do think Arena needs to integrate maybe one or two of these younger guys um, maybe in, into, into a World Cup roster just to give them the experience and, and the taste. And then when 2022 rolls around, I know we're talking about 2022. Jeez, that's, 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 that's a while away. But when 2022 <laughs> comes around, I mean – Look, I mean oh, those guys
1: hope they they get into the squad. Yeah, yeah.
3: If they get in if yeah, if if they if they get into the cup and the squad. But um I mean once when, when, that once that comes around, if those guys have progressed well enough, then they'll be a l- maybe a little bit more experienced than uh, some some of their counterparts. But I mean I I I can't blame Bruce for uh not giving these guys a chance especially in the circumstances he's in right now.
1: No, and and I think you bl- the blame is is not necessarily on on Bruce. It is part on Bruce, part on Clint's Smith, but it's a lot on the players because if the players had performed well, if the United States had picked up points in the World Cup qualifying, you'd be able to give these last two games here and you'd probably be able to bring in some of the new youngsters to give them some World Cup qualifying experience knowing that you've already qualified. These games are almost meaningless. You you know you might go up and down standing uh, the standings, but you you're in you're going to Russia. Who cares if you finish second to third? Maybe you, if you really want to get into to logistics of the plot of uh, the pots and all that, you know, group staging, fine. But the the fact that we're struggling so much is not benefiting these kids who are making names for themselves by playing in Germany.
2: Yeah, I mean that that's exactly right. I mean you can't. Um, you know, if if you don't present them the opportunity to come in and and you know not have to, you know, go to Honduras and and play for the team's uh, you know chances at a World Cup, then you know that I mean that's just not just not feasible. So you need to you need to have a way to bring them in. And yeah, yeah, like you said, if if they could come in and play a, a competitive match that really was kind of meaningless, that would be sort of ideal. But we're definitely uh, definitely not at that point anymore, and uh, we've got to got to do everything we can now to uh, to qualify. So.
3: No, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. But I mean, this week we did see Weston McKinney make his debut and he did not look out of place. I mean, I watched uh, parts of the game before I had to go to class. I know uh, Steven watched parts of the game. I know you yep. b- watched the game, Dan. Um, yep. Can, uh, wh- what are y'all thoughts? I thought he looked completely um, – it, it didn't look like he was out of place. I thought he was well and he earned a second start uh, this past weekend as well. So what were your thoughts on uh, his uh, play?
2: yeah I think it's um you know just in in terms of the team in general this isn't you know really a, a situation where you know guys are hurt and they're they're sort of dipping into their youth he's he's a member of their squad at this point um there was there's no real big injuries right now that shaka have um and you know the the coach just kind of went with him and as a you know a situational kind of thing he wanted a more defensive center mid they have more attacking center mids but um they went with him and yeah he he definitely did not look out of place i mean tactically he's he's aware technically he's um he's right up to speed with all these guys uh he can play balls over the top he can you know he can hold possession when needed he did he did get caught out a little bit um tracking back I think a few times and maybe even once on one of the uh on one of the goals that uh that they scored but uh other than that he he, you know he looks looks really well-rounded and I think just kind of the perfect um center mid that that Schalke look for they just they like
1: no I I definitely agree I if 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 you're Kellen Acosta right now you're starting to sweat
2: (laughs) yeah absolutely
1: I I mean he He's young. I'm young. Kellen Costa, if I'm Kellen Costa, I'm young. He's young. What difference does it make if it's him or you? You know what I'm saying? So, And Kellen Costa hasn't been playing well for FC Dallas, or, you know, with FC Dallas struggling, you might not get the same recognition. He's playing with Schalke. He's making these big plays. He fits in well. Tactically, he's aware of everything. He, he can play well through the air, on the ground. He passes well. He's in the right spots at the right time. Uh,. Bruce Arena will definitely be considering him. I think in the next couple of days to maybe replace Kellen Acosta, somebody who's also young. But you, you know, you're not changing the entire dynamics of the U.S. men's national team, and you're getting a youngster the opportunity to play. Interestingly, Kelly Nakasa and McKinney are from uh, you know Dallas
3: area, so you the Dallas yep. connection is is very strong. <laughs> Yep, they're 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 both from Dallas. Actually, uh, I tell the story a lot of people. McKinney actually uh, played in a middle school. Uh, we used to, when we were in middle school. We played in a match, and he actually scored a midfield chip on on our keeper. So I mean, the talent was always there for him, and especially <laughs> when he when <laughs> we're we're looking at our goalie, like come on, man! But literally, we know this guy would be professional playing against Bar Munich. Um, but I mean, I, I feel like I don't know, Stephen. You think he would have had the same, uh, I guess, success if he was maybe at Dallas compared to uh, Schalke? I know this might be kind of a dumb question because Shalka is a is a much better side than Dallas. But do you think, do you think it would have been a different, a much different scenario or whatnot? I, it's a very. I think it's not a bad
1: question to ask because if you are a youngster and you're looking at break, wanting to break through professionally, are you going to want to put? Your chips into the basket of MLS, or you want to take your chances overseas. We know the risk about going overseas because you can easily be forgotten. Okay, there's so many footballers in Europe that you suddenly become less important. If you do break through an MLS squad, you're pre- more guaranteed playing time. You're guaranteed the opportunity to to showcase your talent to Bruce Arena, who is located here in the U.S. and then, and um, no, nationally, you you show your you showcase your your talent nationally on, on televisions and all that. I don't know, but what, what's your take, Dan?
2: Yeah, I think it's you know it's definitely a gamble, and I think you know I obviously I'm I'm no professional athlete by any means, but you know if I was, and you know if I can just imagine if if I'm an 18 year old kid and and you know I've I've got this you know this talent. Um, you know, it's still, you know, you've got to realize that no matter what, you know, if it's MLS or, or, you know, Germany or, or wherever, you know, it's it's a big risk no matter what. So I feel like if, if you're going to take a risk and you're going to, you know, go and try and be a professional player, um, you might as well go where the, where the ceiling's high. Um, you know, I think you look at the MLS and and best case scenario is, is like you said, where, where you break into the team and, and, you know, you're playing in front of, uh, in front of the national team coach, which is always obviously the goal. But I think, you know, for a lot of these guys who, you know, have ambition and, and, and want to really, you know, get up to that highest level. Um, there's really no way to do that in, in, in MLS right now. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to tell a, a kid that, 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 you know, that age to say, you know, Hey, let's, let's kind of, uh, you know, dampen the fire here and just kind of stick with MLS and, and kind of play it safe here. Um, it's, you know, it's always going to be, you know, go big or go home. Um, so I think that that's kind of the the driving factor there, you know, if everybody just kind of wants to, you know, see what they can do and, and put their talents up against the best.
3: No, absolutely, Dan. Now, I got a, I got a question for you that uh, I'm always on the lookout for uh, some Americans abroad. Can you give us like a couple of like maybe that aren't really household names that could be household names relatively soon of uh, some uh, Americans abroad?
2: Um, yeah, one one you actually mentioned earlier um, briefly is uh, McKinsey Gaines, who's I believe an, another um, Texas native. Yeah, another uh, Dallas just, kid. Yep, <laughs> coming coming <laughs> out of there in droves. Um, he's he's a, a I you know I really like him. I've, I've been a big fan of his since he um, moved over to Wolfsburg um, and even before that on the on the youth national teams. Um, he's playing now at uh, at Darmstadt with uh, Terrence Boyd. Got a lot of playing time uh, in in the off season with their uh, with the first team, and with, you know looked really well. He seemed to have the coach's eye. Has not really played that much um, since the season started, but um, definitely one to keep an eye on. If he does break into the first team, you know that could be another situation where we've got a you know a 19 year old kid um, playing minutes with the first team, um, and then. a Another one I really like is uh, Keaton Parks in in Portugal. Definitely a, an outlier um, for Dallas sure. I've never heard guy, of that guy. I, I'm just I'm just pandering to you guys. Um, no, I um, I really do like him. He's he's just uh, he's seems to be sort of in the same uh, same mold as McKinney. Um, a very just a strong physical player, but also really really technical and knows you know how to get forward and, and play the ball um, in an attacking uh, sense. So. Definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, I, I really like him, um, but yeah, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of guys um, throughout oh. Europe. Really, yeah, I, I mean, mean it's it's really incredible yeah. in terms of you know what if you look at you know we don't really have the numbers uh, put together ourselves but you know if if you could look at the the number of guys who you know under the age of 20 or 18 or whatever you want to break it down it, from you know compare it from now to you know 10 15 20 years ago it's i mean it's just incredible how many guys there are over there now be, um
1: I, I would say it's it's incredible to see how many it'll be interesting to see how it translates with the national team Ah. Uh, and I, one little point, if Texas were its own nation, they would have a pretty good <laughs> squad to go to the World Cup. I'd say they would be – I'd reckon they would be pretty good in CONCACAF. Uh, definitely, uh, yeah. Uh, definitely, uh, <laughs> give Panama and Costa Rica, U.S., and Mexico some uh, some. Uh, the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Dan, we appreciate it. Uh, we got a little shameless plug here on Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Where can we find your content? Where can we find Nats Abroad?
2: Um, you know, our, our, main, our main, um, outlet right now is, is on Twitter, um, you know, just at Nats Abroad, um, you know, we're posting stuff all, all the time, just about, you know, whether it's guys playing, scoring, getting injured, anything like that, any, any sort of news that's, that's, a, you know, from Germany to, to Sweden, anywhere in between kind of thing, uh, we're keeping track of those guys. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Appreciate that. Uh,
1: Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate it and hope uh, we'll have you back on the show to talk to more uh, Americans Abroad.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd love it. Awesome. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks, guys.
3: We got a little dose of some Americans Abroad, Stephen. Nats Abroad. I, I, I follow kids. that Twitter account, so I mean, hey, it's it's a good Twitter account to follow. Good group of guys who follow all the uh, Americans abroad. They all tweet about them, too. So, I mean, it's great to have Dan on show. Oh, for sure. sure. Hey, what do you think?
1: Texas, if they were to secede, man, they'd have a pretty badass national anthem. You know, stars at night are big and bright. That'd be the national anthem. Would Can't... people stand or sit for it? Huh? Oh, Oh, would people stand or sit for it? That's a good question, um, but you'd have Kellen Acosta, you'd have Keaton Parks, uh, in the middle. I bet you, I bet you and I could fill out a uh, Dempsey. Who for, Dempsey could be leading? He'd be the captain. Mm. Uh, I mean, you, you'd have so many. You know, you'd have a starting eleven. I bet you and I could create a Texas starting eleven.
3: Yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be manager, head coach, uh-huh. uh, general manager, owner. So I would say I'm the owner, CEO. You would be.
1: Uh, You'd be VP. P. All right, whatever, Stephen. Whatever, oh, man. man. Whatever makes uh, you sleep at night? Yeah. Okay. Uh, on a serious note, Texas is, especially North Texas, uh, is a hotbed for for youth soccer, and I would recommend going listen listening to episode two, uh, where we had Jared Miklas, the academy director of U S. soccer, but we also had Fred Kaiser. Coach, who actually coached Keaton Parks, on uh, uh, on the show to discuss you know youth soccer, and we, we got into a little bit of the the hotbed that North Texas is. But moving on, no, to... yeah,
3: definitely go revisit that episode if you want to hear more about the youth.
1: Yes, uh, if if you want to, also give us a follow on Twitter at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. But moving on to the MLS playoff uh, formatting because MLS is discussing a potential change to the playoff format for 2018 and beyond
3: yes yeah, sounds it sounds interesting for a, a, a change even though I guess, so basically what they want to do mls wants to consider because of the whole fifa november window they want to consider only playing single elimination playoffs that's the gist of the whole thing to avoid playing uh before that or i think what before that uh after that window, because it kills kind of momentum in the playoffs. I mean, we've seen it work size for playoffs. Is a playoffs. There's a two week break. Like what the hell? No, yes. I, I, I think it's and
1: the MLS playoffs. It's a problem because it's a two legged series. Some of them. You have the wild card game, then you have a tur- quick turnaround to the semis, and then the you know conference finals, and then you have the MLS Cup. The problem is if if you look at it the team with the higher seed doesn't necessarily always progress because it's not necessarily home field advantage because they're on the road at first so you know i'm saying they could easily fc dallas for example slip in an 0-3 hole and then they go home for the second game and then it's pretty much meaningless it's almost impossible to come uh, back from so ML's playoffs you have that issue then you have the issue of of that stupid fifa window that just kills momentum kills the game Uh, Not even necessarily players' momentum, but just the the momentum in the back of your mind. If you're watching the sport, you're like, okay, this is great. Oh, wait, MLS Cup is in two weeks or resumes in two weeks. What? People are going to forget about that. It's not good for the TV markets. And then think about it like this. What if you are Sebastian Giovinco and so hypothetically you get called up to the Italian national team during that FIFA window? you know for something i don't know yeah. typically there's no world cup qualifying during that window period it's more friendlies than anything but what if what if there's a player that goes for up for an important game you know, or something important, something happens. You know, for the national team, and they get the opportunity to. What if they get hurt? What if they? What if the club says no, you can't go? Then their spot. You know, maybe they don't get a second chance to get called up because the window, that FIFA window, is crucial to allowing new and young players to come up and play. You know, a game for the national team to see how they fit in.
3: No, no, absolutely. That that break is really killer. Um, I would I would say it just kills momentum for any. The, and the, the playoffs. The playoffs are really fun to watch, actually. But um, Well, you know? are they
1: really all that fun? Because some games could be dreadful, and other games are Toronto, uh, Montreal.
3: I mean, I don't know. I, I genuinely enjoy watching the playoffs, Steven. I really do. I love watching the wild card matchups because those games, I mean, what was it? The SKC Seattle game last year? I remember oh, we were texting uh, about Felhaber,
1: it. Fellhaber.
3: Yeah, the Fellhaber. yeah. What, did he get red carded or something like yeah, that? Yeah, and, was and like, he was yeah. just
1: going crazy
3: yeah it's going crazy like that was and that's why i love why that's why i love watching the playoffs now this proposal is talking about single elimination i i can't i i can't vote yes on that if i am someone who had was empowered to vote for it uh it's it, it doesn't make sense economically clubs don't like it from the report by the way this is uh from 442.com by a uh, stam uh stesco um the, it's a good read. The teams, yeah, it's a good read, and the teams would end up. The smaller teams are mad because that's one less home game for them. For example, if you're a small, if you're a smaller team that doesn't make that much money, you want the extra home game. You don't want, you know, this to be single elimination. Now, single elimination would, uh, I think, put more emphasis on on the regular season, which is something I've criticized in the past. I don't like how the uh, playoffs seem to throw out the regular season. The playoffs are a playoffs. They're a crapshoot. They're a flip of a coin. Well, um, I mean, at times, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, look at Houston or
1: Dallas. If they make squeak into the playoffs and when on go on to win MLS Cup, were they necessarily were they the best team for 2017? No. So the yeah, MLS playoffs is a crapshoot, and it's an entire it's an entire new season. Okay, so you're you're forcing these clubs to to deal with that and. I don't know the MLS playoffs. It's just a weird format to begin with. It's not consistent, and you have this, you know, the the I guess the play-in game. You know, the the wild card, and then it goes on, and then that team's home, mm-hmm. and then you have the the road game. it it works, but they need to the finalize the system. I you know let let let
3: us just play. If we were in charge of MLS, how would you do the playoffs? It's really really hard, but um. What I would do is I would end up doing what the Liga Liga Emekis Emekis does in Mexico. Sorry. Um, What they do is relatively interesting. And even though it's a little bit shorter on the breaks, I do believe it could work. What ends up happening is they play one leg on Wednesday, the other leg on Sunday. So I think that's what, three, four days in between? That's two games each. That's two games in the week. It, it's relatively fast. They finish their, they finish their uh, playoffs, the Ligila, re- relatively quick compared to uh, what MLS does. And, it's a lot, and they start later, and they end up at this, around the same time as MLS. I mean, that, that's what I would do. I would keep a two-leg system. I think the single-leg system is relatively stupid for something that determines your league's champion in the international uh, perspective. Hey, I, okay, fair enough. But how many player? how many teams – clubs get into
1: the playoffs
3: i would stick with this i would stick with this format because once you get teams what 27 28 it's no longer a a majority of teams it's still it's going to be a much lesser amount of teams i would keep it because that's what they're put in for these two spots the five six five six each side were put in so that you know you don't have to go through some painful transition. The transition right now is would be seamless if they went to 28 right now to be honest.
1: Uh, you, you know what my Okay, so I have one realistic scenario, and then I have my my stupid mind like this sport uh, the winner of the supporter shield automatically goes to the MLS Cup, right? Then you play the playoffs, you have a home and away system, it's relatively quick turnaround. The winner of that small tournament plays the winner of the supporter shield in for the MLS Cup.
3: Is that's, that you're serious or you joking? This—that's my
1: joke in mind. Oh, okay, good. But I think that would be really interesting to see. It'd be fun. It'd be fun. Sec, my realistic mind goes to actually cutting the playoffs back. Yeah, you're gonna lose money. I think it's just better for for you put more emphasis on the regular season. You do the top four from each conference that play right, and then after that, you do what they what you what you do is the Champions League draw. The first round, you cannot have interconference play. You line them up, bing. Doesn't matter about seating, nothing. That's it. Uh, the The only reason with the seating, the way the seating works, would be is if you are the higher seed going into the playoff format, the drawing, you get to choose if you're on the ho- if you are at home or away first. You may, you make your decision then and there. So if you're okay. Toronto, you say. Uh, you draw sporting kC since you're the higher seed you get to choose if you're home or away. and then after that it's just you, you move on like the Champions League it's a drawing it's it doesn't matter you could have two Western conference teams play in the playoffs. I think so you're be-
3: saying so you're saying scrap the conference system in general no, the conference system I mean like
1: is, no the conference system is designed to to I limit travel limit travel you have to it's just realistically stupid to have clubs travel across the country all the time you have to have the conferences to break up the scheduling to make it a little bit more and, and with the, with so much travel you don't develop rivals you know you have to have the the regularity of seeing the same clubs over and over but yeah then with the the drawing with you know the champions league it's a, it's a it's an occasion you know you get to see okay who's to, who's my club drawing and if you're a higher squad then you, you then you get to play the game should we be on the road first should we be on the you know uh should we host the game first You know,
3: my only issue with that is, is if you're a top side, like let's say Toronto, and you get matched up with another top side, like the other top side in the West, how how is how is that fair? How 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 is that relatively fair? I mean, even if you choose the home, like I don't think I I don't think I don't think that's fair. I think it would be a disadvantage almost. I mean, what it would make, what it would mean is,
1: you're just trying to get to this tournament.
3: If you're going to do this split up, what I would do is I would set up four pots. Pot one, top one, pot two, top two, pot three.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, you would do what FIFA does when it comes to the World Cup. You have the higher-ranking teams in one pot, and and it splits up. So, you know, uh, especially in the first round. I think after the first round. So one
3: can't play one, two can't play two, three can't can't play three, four can't play four.
1: Yeah. But four that's could play three, four could play two, four could play one. You know what I'm saying? So you mix it up. But you get creative with it. I think it would be really good for the sport. You'd have that Champions League air where, you know, the drawing is such an occasion. You know, how many people are glued to the TV? But that that's my, my I think, realistic idea where MLS should be going for it. But with expansion and all that, keep it as is, and, and we'll see where it goes. You just got to get rid of that FIFA window. But uh, listeners, follow us on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and share. We had fantastic guests on the show. We'll be back next week with another episode. on you got the final word?
3: Yeah, man. Uh, it was actually a really great episode with lots of great insight. Um, make sure you guys are keeping close with the MLS. Playoff races are heating up. Yes. Atlanta just beat Montreal I want to say it was 2-0. And it looks like the East is heating up. West is relatively as tight we- as ever. And – I just can't wait to see what the uh, MLS playoffs are going to bring to us today. We'll talk MLS playoffs on the next episode, so catch that. See yeah.
2: My local coffee shop is my Penn State World Campus Classroom, giving me the full
1: Penn State experience Online. It's home to thousands of students working together with faculty to advance our careers, change our careers, or finally earn our degree. My classroom is just like every Penn State classroom because it is getting me to where I want to be. Click on the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu
3: to learn more.
2: Get a credit card that gives you what you need now a low interest rate on everyday purchases and a place to transfer high interest rate balances.